You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Welcome to my Real Life family. Glad that you are here today. And we are in the third week of our One Big Story. Um, Josh and Thad and myself and a few other guys are in Salt Lake City doing a DS1 for a, a small groups training for the church that Derek Murphy went to when he left Pullman. And so that's why we're doing this video. And um, that's something that we've really been looking forward to for a while. So if you think about it, you can pray for us uh, while you go throughout the weekend as we're doing this training for Derek's church. Uh, this week, we are talking about a really important character in the Bible, Abraham, and everybody knows who he is, but before we get there, we got to go back and review kind of where we've been already so that we can understand why this piece fits where it does. The first piece that we have to always remember is that God is good. Genesis 1 teaches us that God is good, he created a good world, and he created us good and full of potential. Tov meo. We're real good. And so that's what God does in Genesis 1. And then we wrestled last week with the idea of being broken. The problem with God's goodness is that there's all these other voices that are jockeying for our attention. And so what winds up happening is we start to listen to those voices and those voices create shame. And then now we're away from naked and unashamed. We have naked and shame, which one of the interesting things about that is that both naked and unashamed and naked and ashamed are both naked. Like both of these are exposed before God. The way for us to get over what we do when we mess up isn't so much to, to hide from God. It's to stop being ashamed. And the way that we stop shame is to deal with the things that are causing us shame in the first place. And so this is this idea of Genesis 3. And then we move into uh, a whole series of stories that show us one very important reality. And that reality is that sin promises to deliver what only God can give us. And so God, in these stories of Genesis 4 through 11, is trying to... um, invite people into his story that he's trying to tell in the world. And what winds up happening is all these people don't trust the story and they chase sin, various different versions of sin, but they all are chasing sin and sin comes to them and tries to deliver for them what only God can give us. And so consequently, things get really bad. Finally, in Abraham, God finds a man who will trust him. And so we pick up Abraham's story today in Genesis 12, and I want to look at some a couple of pieces of Abraham's story and wrestle with this. Why does God make this promise to Abraham? Who is, who is Abraham that God would use him? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to read um, starting in verse 1. Here we go. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from the country and your kindred at your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. So that's important. You probably need to underline that. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. You should probably underline that. 
so that, and you should probably circle, highlight, and star this, so that you will be a blessing. So before we move on, we want to wrestle with this. God comes to Abraham and says, you're the kind of guy that I can use. You're a guy that will trust the story. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you a great nation. And I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great. But I'm going to do that so that you will be a blessing. And that's important. Let's move on. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Uh, And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Everybody's going to be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took his wife Sarai and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had, and gathered, uh, and, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, they sent out uh, to go out to the land of Canaan. So when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, one major problem with this, Abraham doesn't have any offspring. So God makes a promise to him, and here's the problem. Here's the promise. God says, I will make your name great so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. And I'm going to do that through giving you this land, you and your offspring. But Abraham doesn't have any offspring. And so this becomes this great wrestling match with God. And what's interesting is that when when Abraham comes to the land, he still doesn't have any kids, and now there's all this tension between him and God and what's going on, and and he has this great victory, and God's like, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to bless you, And, and Abraham goes to him and says, okay, but the problem is I don't have any kids. So something happens that's really really powerful in Genesis chapter 15. And this, this story, I'm going to tell you the story rather than read it because we have so much time. So uh, Abraham has a vision where God comes to him and he says, uh, your reward's going to be great. And Abraham says, how's my reward going to be great? I don't have any kids. If I die, then what happens is all of my wealth goes to my servant, Eleazar. Like, I don't even have any kids. And so God comes to Abraham and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a heifer and a goat and a ram and a she-goat and a turtle dove and a pigeon. And I want you to cut them all in half and I want you to lay their sides down in this valley. Now, here's what's interesting. Abraham knows exactly what's happening here. And if you've been in part of our church for a while, you know you know this, what's happening here. This is what's called a suzerain vassal covenant. And God is making a covenant with Abraham. He's making a blood covenant with Abraham. And here's the, the terms of a blood covenant. When we come through the covenant, the one who's more powerful states the terms to the covenant, and the one who's less powerful agrees to the terms of the covenant. Now, what we know is... God's the 
one who's more powerful. Abraham's the one who's less powerful. So God says to him, I want you to go set these things up. And the way that the covenant works is we state the terms, and then as we uh, verbalize our agreement, we would lift our robes up and walk in like a figure eight through the blood of the animals. And it's symbolizing that if I ever violate the terms to this covenant, this, what, what these animals look like, may this happen to me. And what's interesting is the, the animals get split and then Abraham falls into a deep sleep. Like some time goes by because we, what we start to see is these vultures show up. But what, what happens is Abraham won't walk through the he won't walk through the animals. And the question that I wrestle with is why? Why won't he go through the animals? Well, what we know is Abraham believes that as soon as he walks through this, these split animals, he's not worth being alive anymore. He knows that the covenant that God is making with him, he can't fulfill. And so Abraham falls asleep and he has a vision and in the vision, there's a smoking pot and a flaming torch. Both of these always symbolize the presence of God. So when you see fire, when you see, think of um, uh, Isaiah's vision in Isaiah, uh, when he says he goes into the throne room of God and God takes a, a coal of fire off of the altar and he comes and he places it on Isaiah's mouth as a purification. Um, this, this, this idea of fire and smoke, these are all symbols of the presence of God. And so what, what God does is he causes Abraham to fall into a deep sleep. He has a vision, and in the vision, there's a smoking pot and a flaming torch. And the smoking pot goes through the, the animals, and then the flaming torch does. What God does for Abraham here is so powerful and so profound. Like God, all these years ago, made a promise that he was going to bless him, that he was going to make his name great, that he was going to be a blessing to all nations, and that he was going to do that by giving Abraham this land and have his offspring. And Abraham is like, but where are my offspring? And so God comes to him and causes this covenant, lots of years later, causes this covenant to happen, and he says, Abraham, I haven't forgotten, and here's my covenant with you. If and when you fail this covenant, I will carry out your part and I will take your punishment. Which is so profound for Abraham. This is something that if you think about, like God is in the position of power. Think of one other place in history where there's a covenant where the more powerful one says, you, you, you can't uphold your end of the covenant and it's okay because when you don't uphold your end of the covenant, I'll, I'll take your punishment. Like this is something that God is working out with Abraham that once again shows the world that he's this new kind of God. This is, this is a God that's different than the other gods. This is a God who isn't going to just be there to hold you account, to make you a pay for what you did wrong, to punish you every time you mess up. That's not the kind of God this is. This is a kind of God that when you struggle, steps in to take your place for you. And that's revolutionary. So Abraham agrees to live in this covenant, not because he feels like he can uphold it, but because God promises that it's going to be okay if he doesn't. 
And it raises a really interesting question for me. Like God is so determined to use Abraham in this process. And I got to figure out why. Like in my own mind, I wrestle with like, why is Abraham so special? What is it about him that is so incredible that God comes to him and says, I am so determined to use you that I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all the nations. And I'm going to make a covenant with you because you're so important to me that even when you don't uphold your end of the covenant, it's okay because I'll deal with that part too. Like, why is Abraham so important to God? Here's another way to ask the question. How does Abraham show God that he is trustworthy? Well, there's a couple of ways. One is his faithfulness to God. Abraham gets invited to go to a land. He has really no idea where he's going. And God says, get up and go to a land that I'll show you. And he does. Like, this is Abraham's kind of MO. And yeah, he has some moments where he fails. There's no question about that. And what I love about the Bible is that it doesn't omit those things. But what we see in the life of Abraham is this guy who's willing to have enduring faithfulness to his God and to his people. And this is the second piece that Abraham is, is, shows God that he's trustworthy because of his hospitality for other people. Like if you look at the story of Abraham and how it unfolds, it is story after story after story of this guy putting himself out for the well-being of other people. This is the MO of Abraham. And because this is him, he is a guy who God says, I will use him. I will use him to do my work over and over and over. Why? Because Abraham is faithful and Abraham has full of hospitality. You think about the story of Abraham with the three strangers, and we've talked about this, where he gets up and runs to three people that he does not know, which is super humiliating. You think about Abraham fighting for Lot. Um, if there were 10, 50 righteous, what if there were 20? What if there were 10? What if there was just one righteous? Would you spare the city for one righteous man? Like Abraham bartering with God for Lot. We see Abraham again and again and again doing things to elevate the people around him. It's just who he is. There's a really interesting story in Genesis 11, kind of right at the beginning of our introduction to Abraham. And it's Abraham and his brother getting ready to marry two sisters and there's a lot to build out here, but what we see is that Abraham marries Sarah knowing that she is barren and intentionally gives the other sister who is able to bear children, gives her to his brother. It's almost like Abraham's heart, at, even at the very beginning of his story is, I am willing to put myself out to love the people that nobody else can love. Like in that world, the issue of barrenness, this is one of the major ways that you know that the gods are angry at you. And Abraham says, I will marry her. I will take her and I will love her. And not only will I marry her and love her and take her and keep her, but Abraham never married anybody else until she was dead. Like she was in a world of multiple wives being commonplace. He takes Sarah and her only. And he loves her even though she's not able to have kids. Like this is Abraham. 
This is the kind of person that when you think about who is the kind of person that God uses, what, who is the kind of person that in the craziest of circumstances, God will come and make a promise to you that he may take some time to fulfill, but he'll fulfill it. Who is that kind of person? Well, it's a guy like Abraham, a guy who's full of hospitality, a guy who loves the kind of people that God loves, a guy who's faithful to the mission that God's laid out for him, even when he doesn't know where it's taking him. This is Abraham. This is who he is. And what we can see in the scripture is that again and again and again, when a guy like that or a gal like that shows up, all of a sudden God comes and uses them in these really incredible, profound ways. And so with that in mind, we're going to move towards the Lord's table now, if you're new with us, at our church, we take communion every week and we have an open table. What that means is that anybody who wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is invited to take communion with us, but we want you to hold those elements till the end and we'll take them all together. So while they're passing that out, we're going to work through a few implications. Implications are things that as we work through this story, we really hope that you land on and hold on to. These are things that we think were particularly important. Now maybe maybe the Holy Spirit's working this uh, story of Abraham and, and the kind of guy that he is and, and how God can use him. Maybe God's working that in your life in a different way. And that's okay too. These are just some things that we thought would be particularly important as we work through this, okay? And so here's, here's implication number one. Implication number one is simply this. God is still looking for partners. Where are the Abrahams of our day? The ones that God can come to and make impossible promises and then show his faithfulness because this is a person who ultimately will not give up on the promises of God. Where are these people in our world? Because God is still looking for partners. Implication number two. God's partners change the world by constantly investing in people, in the people around them. Now let me say this. There's a whole lot of people who will take a message like this and they'll go home or they'll go to work or they'll go talk to somebody that they think needs to treat them better and they'll use a message like this to go like, you need to be more like Abraham. You need to lay your life down. You need to be full of hospitality. You need to treat me better. You need to be the kind of person that I want you to be. That is not what this message is for. This is a message for each one of us to wrestle and stand in on how am I, me pointing the finger at me myself, how am I being the kind of person that God chooses to partner with? How am I being faithful? How am I being full of hospitality? How am I fulfilling the mission that God has set out for me? This isn't about beating somebody else up. It's about owning it for myself. And that leads me to my third implication, which is really more of a question. And this is a question that maybe, maybe you can wrestle with it during um, your small group this week. Maybe you can wrestle with it uh, at, around the dinner table as you're talking with your kids about this series. Maybe this is just a question that you can wrestle with in your own quiet time, maybe with your people at work, wherever you do your Christian conversations. Maybe that's it. Where are you partnering with God 
to change the world? Where are you partnering with God to change the world? Where specifically are you partnering with God to change the world? What does it look like for you to partner with God in how you treat your spouse? Like it frustrates me when men will demand submission of their spouse and forget that they're to love their wives the way Christ loved the church. Like that would be partnering with God to change the world by loving my spouse well. And by the way, how does that change the world? Well, it changes her world, but it also changes the world of everyone around you. Like people watch how we treat our, our spouses. They watch it. How are you treating your kids? How are you partnering with God to change the world for your kids? How are you partnering to change, uh, partnering with God to change the world in your community? What are you doing? And, and if you're saying, well, right now, you know, my, my job is just to be a parent. Uh, no, you're not, your job is not just to be a parent. That's every parent's job is to be a parent. But you're also called to partner with God in fulfilling his mission in the world. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? What I can tell you is, in order for us to pull that off, it's really going to look a whole lot like what communion means for us. It's a laying down of our life and our agenda, not a holding on to it. And so this reminds us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, my blood, which is shed for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for people like Abraham and the example of relentless hospitality, the example of enduring faithfulness and the example of tremendous selflessness and how he fights for the people around him, for them to be better. Lord, help us to be people who are marked by that truth so that when you come to us, you see people that you can invest crazy promises and dreams in so that we can watch you work and do things that open up these whole new worlds of understanding who you are because of what you've done in us as a testimony to the world. Thank you, God, for your persistent grace. In your name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Real Life. If you'd like more information on who we are, what's happening in our church, and how you can get involved, visit us on Facebook and Twitter, and visit our website, liferotp.com.